Amen. Robin, thank you again for the hospitality of having me with your family this morning. Peggy, thank you for letting me sit by you. Uh, The first service, I was seated when I was supposed to be standing and standing when I was supposed to be seated. Uh, So Peggy is my cheat seat, the cheat sheet this morning. And, you know, you got to give Baptists all the help that they can give. Such a blessing to get to meet some of your family this morning uh, and talk. You know, when I am not at church, I think I'm probably like a lot of y'all. I like hanging out with pagans. I uh, really like to watch sports, and every now and then I have a beer, and I like to do it at Griff's Sports Pub. Uh, There are a bunch of pagans over at Griff's, but they make me feel at home. And thankfully, Robin didn't mention this morning, I am a little bit of a nerd, and when I read, I find myself more often than not reading the pagans rather than the Christians. And one of my favorite pagans to read is a man by the name of Adam Smith. What made Adam Smith so famous was his ability to take the vice of self-interest and make it look like a virtue. He wrote a famous phrase. He said it is by the butcher, the brewer, the baker, pursuing their own self-interest that you and I receive our mill. And in this case, as in all others, there is an invisible hand that coordinates the self-interest of individuals into a greater common good that was no part of their intention. The butcher, the brewer, the baker. It was a great play on words. We could see in our mind's eye the image of this invisible hand. And through Adam Smith's ability to work with words, he sowed a seed into our imagination about the power of self-interest. Adam Smith was brilliant. But his brilliance was so different than Jesus's. Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, said, If you want to be my disciple, this is what you do. Go find a cross, pick it up, follow me. If you live for self-interest, you will lose your life. But if you are ready to lose your life for me and my gospel, you will find it. Abundant life was that life that expressed self-sacrifice and that did not worship the idol of self-interest. So different. Now, one chapter later, there's a lawyer on the scene. And the lawyer comes to give Jesus a quiz to test his theological wares, to show Jesus to be the carpenter bumpkin that he really is. And so he has a question for him. He says, Jesus, Jesus, you know... uh, 
What say you? Eternal life, how do you get it? And Jesus may be a simple carpenter, but He knows how to handle hard questions. Hard question comes His way. He says, well, you know, well, what do you think? And the lawyer says, well, I think it's, you know, love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yes. Yeah. Do that and you will live. And what is so interesting when we read the gospel accounts of Jesus is that what separates Jesus from His enemies is not their answers to theological questions. Jesus and the Pharisees had almost identical theology. But what ends up separating Jesus from the legalists and the Pharisees was how radically He was ready to live out these truths in a practical way. You see, the lawyer knows that Jesus' love crosses every boundary. And so he asks him another question. It is a question with ancient roots. But it is a question that faces us on a daily basis. If you remember from Genesis, it was Cain who asked the question, Am I my brother's keeper? Today, the lawyer asked a very similar question. He asked, Well, who exactly is my neighbor? Jesus provides no answers. Instead of an answer, He provides a story. And He says, Well, there was this certain man who traveled that dangerous route between Jerusalem and Jericho. That road was steep. It was precarious. had sharp turns. It was a path full of bandits and robbers. And sure enough, as this man is traveling his road, the robbers pounce on him. Almost as if just for the fun of it. Take his sneakers, take his jacket, leave him half dead on the side of the road. What's so interesting with Jesus' stories is how much and how little they tell us. So many specifics about this certain man that we don't know. Jesus had told a story about a prodigal son. The prodigal son takes his father's money, goes off, gets prostitutes, comes back and the father is so happy to see him that he throws a homecoming party. And yet when the story comes to a close, there's so much that we do not know. We do not know if the prodigal stuck around his father for the long haul or if he was just using his father once again. We do not know if the prodigal son and his self-righteous brother are able to reconcile. In fact, the only thing that we know from this story is that there is a father who loves that prodigal. And regardless of how far that prodigal runs, he will never outrun his father's love. This certain man, we don't know if he's Jew, Gentile, good man, bad man. More than likely, he is someone very much like you and I. 
This life is full of dangerous roads. And somewhere on our journeys between our Jerusalems and our Jerichos, we will find ourselves beaten down, broken, needing a helping hand. So the man lays there on the road, half dead. He is gasping for air through broken teeth and a busted lip. And through an eye that is swollen, halfway shut, he sees hope on the horizon. For a priest is coming his way. Jesus doesn't let us know if this is a Catholic priest, an Episcopal priest. We do not know. But we do know that we think it's a pretty good thing to see a priest when we need a helping hand. For a priest has the position and the power to help. And yet what we find from the story is it's one thing to have the position and the power to help and to have the readiness to help. The priest sees the broken man and he passes by on the other side. His foots disappear into the dusk. And yet here, hope comes again. This time it is not a priest. It is the legalistic Levite, the Baptist preacher, like myself, who knows all of the answers who knows the law and seeks to keep it. And yet as this Baptist preacher walks his straight and narrow path, he comes upon a broken man. And all of his knowledge and all of his answers to his questions appear useless. What exactly did the Levite see when he looked on this broken man? Did he see somebody who needed to pull himself up by their bootstraps? Did he see somebody who more than likely received the violence he deserved? We don't know exactly what he saw. But what we do know is this. Is that he follows the path of the priest. And passes by on the opposite side of the road. You know, as religious folks, we are so good fighting among ourselves. You and Episcopals, y'all fight all the time, but you got nothing on us Baptists. We know how to fight with one another. And yet, all too often in this road, we find a common ground. And it is a tragic common ground. That in the face of brokenness, in the face of our nation's violence and racism, in the face of the war against poor folk, we find common ground through our indifference and our fears by taking the opposite side of the road and leaving those half-dead 
right where they lie. You know, I don't know about you. When I read this story, it is hard to see whether the robbers, the priests, or the Levite are the worst characters in it. Robbers and thieves are some dangerous folks. And yet the indifference, the fear of the priest and Levite are every bit as violent as the work of the robbers and thieves. And I don't know about you, but I know for myself that when I found myself in a ditch, it wasn't the robbers and thieves who knocked the hope out of me. It was when those that I loved and I thought I could count on turned a blind eye to my need. We're not ready to lend a helping hand. That was what knocked the hope out of me. And the Levite, he too passes and his footsteps disappear into the dust. And hope died on the road that day. Somewhere between Jerusalem and Jericho. But it is of course, after all hope is gone, that our God's work is just beginning. And hope comes in an unlikely pack. There's a Samaritan on the road that day. And for whatever the reason, the Samaritan is unable to harden his heart to the needs his eyes seek. So much we don't know about the Samaritan. We don't know all of his moral failings, his personal shortcomings. Those aspects that we know all too well about ourselves. We don't know why he lended a helping hand. Perhaps he lent a helping hand because he too had been in a place where he needed a helping hand. Perhaps he lended a helping hand because he could see in this broken man his own brokenness. We do not know if he had money to spare, if he had time to spare. All we know is this, is that he had what the world needs so desperately. He had what each and every one of us need. And that is the courage to love as if we had nothing to lose. The Samaritan had mercy. Mercy is a costly thing. It cost us the safety that we think that our indifference and fears provide. It cost us the ability to judge other folks' shortcomings and failures. It cost us the ability to have a future that we can control. Mercy is not about having all of the answers to every one 
of life's problems. Mercy is simply about the readiness to love in practical ways even when we have very little to give. I remember a time in my life when I found myself in a ditch and God provided hope through an unlikely package. During the lowest point of my life, I moved into Houston's inner city. And there I found families that were ready to take me into their family, into their homes, into their churches. They couldn't solve all my problems. But they were ready to give what little bit they gave. A little time, a little love, a little compassion. And the truth of the matter was, that's what I needed more than anything. Shortly thereafter, I moved to the East Coast. Found myself in a church in Virginia. One of the aristocratic First Baptist churches. It was in a city where the churches were surrounded by poverty. But in our church, we had no need. Because we didn't allow people of those colors into our congregation. And I remember so well as a young man doing nursing home visits that Christmas season. Walking into a beautiful nursing home with mahogany floors, with flat screen televisions, where everybody was waited on by someone who was not the color we were. And after doing a couple of visits, we sat down for our last visit. And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, is this the end that we are really fighting for? Is this all there is to this Christian life? To chase just like the world, the things of the world, and to die with the most toys. It is a question that haunts me still. Jesus said, If you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. For if you live a life only trying to protect, only trying to save yourself, you will lose the life you have. But if you pour out your life for others, you will have a life worth living. A rich life is not a cheap thing. It will cost you everything. Jesus asks the lawyer, which of the three was the neighbor? The lawyer responds, the one who had mercy. Jesus says, go, do likewise. Love as if you have nothing to lose. Amen.
Love is the declare our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed found on page 7. 